0: All right, welcome to the first-of-its-kind, world-changing Manufacturers Network. Lisa Ryan has her ears to the ground and her heart in the game. Get ongoing education and new connections right here with Lisa and the Manufacturers Network. Buckle your seat, listen, and
1: spread the word. Here is Lisa.
0: Hey, it's Lisa Ryan. Welcome to the Manufacturers Network podcast. Our guest today is Michelle Cadox. Michelle is co-founder and CEO of Bankers Lab, who provide lending simulation tools to the financial sector for the last 10 years in over 30 countries. Bankers Lab is making these financial simulations available to the manufacturing sector who can benefit from the world-class solutions used by banks for years. Bankers Lab is working to disrupt finance in the manufacturing sector to reduce the time and friction required to finance manufacturing equipment and enable more rapid innovation. Michelle, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Lisa. Michelle, share with us some of your background and what led you to doing what you're doing with Bankers Lab.
1: Well, I'm a a recovering banker, Lisa. (laughs) And I'm a banker who was solving her own problem. We were, I was working internationally in banking and we were trying to teach people across our bank's footprint in 57 countries how to optimize their portfolios, which was no easy feat. And you know, my background is very much mathematics and economics. It seemed like everything I had done till that point kind of came together, that we saw that simulation was really a way to solve those problems to help people see things that you just can't see from a textbook, Lisa, to see how the world works through simulation. So t- share with us
0: a little bit about that process. I mean, when I think simulation, I think video games and I think driving a plane and trying not to crash it. So how did, what does that look like in the banking industry?
1: Well, the concept is the same in the sense that sometimes we use the analogy of a flight simulator that we say to people, okay, that's great, you can drive the plane, but do you know what to do in a storm? Do you, can you do a water landing? It is pretty comical. If you, if you Google how to do a water landing in an airplane, it gives you 10 steps, but it's, it's 10 steps. It's like set the flaps to this, set the attack angle to that, etc. Anybody can read those steps and you and I could probably memorize them and repeat them as a trick at the bar or something. There's no way you and I, Lisa, are gonna do a water landing. <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> right. So there's such a difference between just reading something in a textbook and practicing it. And so the concept of simulation, which they use in most verticals, most industry verticals these days, is something we also do in the, in the financial sector. So in, in my case, Lisa, you'd say, gosh, it's been my dream to learn how to manage a multi-billion dollar credit card portfolio. I don't know why you'd have that dream, Lisa, but let's say you did. <laughs> I think no problem. Give me two days with you and we're going to put you into the simulator and you're going to make all these decisions about the portfolio. What's my credit criteria? What size credit limits should I give people? And the thing about simulation in any kind of simulation is you press the button and you get to see what's going to happen in two years time and you see it instantly. So your own learning loop is seconds long. Whereas if you just try to learn by doing in your job, you'd have to wait that two years. So it just creates this very rapid learning. And when you have these complex portfolios with the cause and effect in there, it's just such an easy way for people to to wrap their heads around that and practice not just the core concepts, but anticipate what might happen in the future. So, so our clients can come to us and say, well, we think this might be happening in the next year. What should we do? No problem, let's simulate it and you know, do the fire drill, if you will. So what are
0: you seeing, or how are you seeing manufacturers using this type of technology?
1: Yeah, it is, it, it is a new thing for us and it's really fun. So for example, you know, in manufacturing, if you just step back for a minute and look at the industry, You always had really big manufacturers doing their own finance, GE Capital, right? And in the past, in order to do your own financing, if you're going to sell jet engines or medical equipment or robots or whatever it is, and you want to provide that financing for your customers, which many big manufacturers do, in the past, you had to have big on-premises servers and a team of 20 people and IT, you know, for the systems to manage those loans. And these days with things in the cloud, the it's been really disintermediated. So what we're seeing is that you don't need to be as big as GE anymore to, in order to do that because of the cloud-based software. And to some extent, finance for this part of the economy has always been full of friction. Let's face it, banks are not the best at providing this kind of financing, big, many things, but typically this has been, I would say a bit of an Achilles heel. So the manufacturer was like, wait a minute, let's just, let's just do this ourselves.
0: So we've all heard things about outsourcing. We outsource all kinds of, of services and products and everything these days. But what you're talking about is something you refer to as insourcing. So What does that look like? And then why might some manufacturing companies look at doing their own in sourcing a financing?
1: So think about, let's take an example of we're selling robot arms. Some small shop comes to us and says, we'd love to buy three of these. We have a labor shortage. Great. And I would say to them as the manufacturer of that robot, well, go to the bank, get a working capital loan and then come back. So I'm outsourcing the finance, right? And that poor small business goes to the bank, who's like, we need 8,500 pieces of paperwork and this and that and the other and blah, blah, blah. So you might not sell that equipment if that small business can't get that loan. Insourcing finance means I've already built the robot arms. I own them, right? I've built the thing I'm selling. So I will just provide the financing myself. So I might either lease them, and and many manufacturers do this already, but I'll provide that financing myself. What we're seeing, for example, is with cloud-based systems, you can set up a simple credit criteria. And the other thing, you know, there's another layer to this. One is, yes, I could increase sales of my robot arms because I've created a financing option. So I'm a one-stop shop. You need to buy this thing from me. Here's the financing. Canon Financial does a great job of this with, like print shops and stuff that they're always financing the the printers. But the other upshot is that it creates a customer stickiness that we noticed. So take the example of Canon Financial, they provide the financing for the local print shop to buy a huge printer. So they can print posters and stuff like that for the community, but it's sticky because once the leasing arrangement is coming to its end, Canon Financial is right in there saying, hey, we see that this equipment's depreciated, do you want to upgrade to the next model? It provides this natural um, touch point with the customers to keep expanding your sales to them, to keep renewing it and, and providing them the next generation of equipment. Whereas if they went to the bank, bought it and went away, you kind of have to start over with them to sell more.
0: So in the case of that robot arm, though, they are financing it to own it. They're not financing it to lease it like a, you would with a printer for Canon.
1: Yeah. Good, good question, Lisa, to make that distinction. Um, actually what we're seeing is a trend that we would call equipment as a service. So, you know, we say software as a service, meaning you don't own the software, right? If you guys have ever used like office 365, that's software as a service because you don't own it. You're just renting it for nine bucks a month or whatever. Right. Um, because you're like, no, I don't want to cough up the 250 bucks up front. I'll just pay my nine bucks a month. Thank you very much. So equipment as a service is the same concept of creating flexible leasing options, short-term leasing options. And what we're seeing is that, you know, successful manufacturers who do this provide all those options, Lisa. So do you want to purchase to own? We'll give you this working capital loan for this equipment. Or do you want a long-term lease or it's a crane? I only need to lease it for a month. So that's more like an equipment as a service, which is normal in that type of of sector, right? Where they'd have these leasing arrangements. But at the end of the day, um, you know, good lending is really centered around good product design. So each manufacturer just needs to kind of know. So what, for example, whether you're, if you're building cranes, that might be kind of more short-term use. So you might have very specific financing options versus somebody selling robot arms where these factories just say, no, we want to buy it to own it. Thank you very much. Cause we're going to use this thing until we run it into the ground. So for each type of manufacturer, I think there's different product types for financing that are most suitable. For agriculture, for example, Forever, John Deere has provided their financing. And of course they do it suited to their industry. See, that's the other reason why manufacturers are better suited to do this because you go to a bank and say, we need an agricultural loan. So the guy's gonna pay, he he can pay you zero while he's planting his crops and he'll pay you a bullet loan when he does his harvest. And John Deere understands agriculture. So they're good at providing that product structure. Whereas the bank might be like, what? You're not going to pay me anything for four months? So it's that type of those product features that the manufacturers already understand those customers in a way that the banks actually don't.
0: So as far as from a personnel standpoint, though, is that something that manufacturers would have to take on a whole new department and a whole new learning curve? Or is this something that Bankers Lab that you set it up and you do that work for them?
1: We're seeing people set this up in different ways, Lisa. So for example, the bigger companies, they would have a couple people say under the CFO who would manage this. Some people pull in a consultant to, for example, set up the initial credit criteria. What we do is we come in with the simulation exercise just so as an organization, then we say to sort of, for example, to the manufacturer, what are your goals with this financing? Are you trying to just increase sales? Are you trying to make sure that the you get product renewals? Are you more interested in short-term cash in, or are you trying to maximize it over the long term? Then you set up the criteria, and our partner turnkey lender has software where it's super easy to just do the drop-down boxes, and somebody you know they can set up the software for you, um, and then you know then you're up and running. And yeah, either you bring in a consultant, um, we can find them people, and then the, and then the idea is to automate it as much as possible and have people within the manufacturer who don't, obviously there's no more of this manual processing. Like the traditional thing was when they set up financing, it was like, oh, we have to hire a whole department of people to sit and push the 83 pages of paper for the loan applications. No, I want to get this process set up. So it's, it's, uh, as automated as possible and just have, uh, somebody who understands the strategy and then, you know, whoever would manage that. Okay. So what are some of
0: the typical hurdles when manufacturers are insourcing finance or, or any companies are insourcing finance?
1: Well, these days with the cloud-based software, sometimes it might just be perceptions because if you say to somebody, Oh, plug into this loan origination and management system and like, they assume it's gonna be some giant IT project. I think these perceptions are starting to get shattered. Even, I'll give you a great, just a very simple example. Canva is software that you might use online to create uh, what a graphic designer would have done in the past. The free account is so powerful, right? But the point is with cloud-based software, I think there's a perception that it would be difficult and it's a lot easier. So I think one thing is just the perceptions are a hurdle. I think the second thing which is true for any lender is just to have that understanding of lending. And that's that's where we come in. So if that's the sticking point, no problem. We'll we'll put you in the flight simulator and teach you enough to be dangerous. <laughs> You have a good system with lots of good checks and balances, and you know, have somebody good set it up according to what your strategy is. But I think that knowledge gap is really what we're trying to make sure is not a sticking point.
0: Yeah, I just had an experience, and, and I think about financing, and like you said, the 84 pages of paperwork. I took my car in for. Tires the other day. And of course, there was, uh, they found a lot more with my car. So it ended up being a lot more expensive than I thought. And instead of paying them my credit card at the end, I went to their lender and basically got pre approved. And I never gave the tire place my credit card. They did 90 days, same as cash. It was the easiest thing on the planet. I did an electronic signature. So it was just, it's to me, it's so easy how these types of services are making our lives, especially when now mind you, I signed and probably, uh, you know, electronic signed an 84 page document that I have no idea what's in it. Hopefully they're not taking my first child, which would be difficult since I don't have one except my cats. It, yeah, it, it really was an easy option versus what you were talking about—that small manufacturer going to a bank and having to justify and doing all of the give, number one giving them all the paperwork that they need to even make a determination
1: whether or not you're going to get the loan. Exactly, and here's here was my question for the manufacturing sector. My question was, okay, you know what? That's great that the financial sector has done a good job of like to your point this thing at the point of sale and we've created a lot of frictionless financial products for the consumers but at the end of the day the financial sector you know I'm like wait we're failing the manufacturing sector cuz it's our engine of growth so for example when we were talking to manufacturers in northeast ohio gosh you guys have all these really crippling labor shortages right. and and you know that you can start to create you know you yourself can insource other products you know if you are having supply chain issues but you need capital we need to fix this in the manufacturing sector to have the frictionless process that you have as a consumer because it's the engine of growth of the economy we're having supply chain issues if we can just get that capital expenditure sorted out and made more easy for everybody it, it just seems like it'll it'll really help both as at the broad economic level as well as help those companies grow faster.
0: So what are some of the companies that you've worked with that are doing this?
1: So a, a great example I'd like to call out our partner, Turnkey Lender, who provides the, the actual production software for this type of activity. Uh, Turnkey Lender, you, if you go to their website and their blogs, they have some really good case studies about Siemens that they're working with. So, so, you can read those uh, case studies online about the work that they have done with them, which would be I think very interesting for the manufacturers. we I can always give you those links for the show notes if you like because those I think are are highly relevant. Um, we're also seeing things like example an example is a solar panel panel manufacturer saying, "Oh, wait, I can increase my my sales if I just provide the financing right and I and and Here's another great example where lending is contextualized and the manufacturer actually knows more than the bank, meaning for a solar panel manufacturer, they might evaluate that financing, not just based on the borrower's ability to repay, it's more about what's the site plan? Is there enough sun? Is the thing gonna pay for itself? And also is the installer high quality? So the manufacturer will see that full set of elements outside of just the borrower. Whereas if you go to the bank for that solar panel, the bank will just be looking at the borrower.
0: Is this program work primarily for selling parts that are already on the shelf? You know, you mentioned robot arms, that they already manufactured the robot arms. But what about things like custom orders and custom equipment? Would that also work the same, or how would that work?
1: finance perspective i would say it works the same but another area to call out based on that question of like what other products does this work for remember that the other thing that it works really well for is what we call factoring so invoice financing it also works great for that or if you're having sub- supply chain issues often you're give, you're lending the short term money while the goods are in transit right that that gap financing I think for any manufacturing company, especially right now with supply chain issues, I would, if I were a CFO, I'd step back and say, what's causing friction in my system right now? And how can I use, throw some financing it to unlock it? So my suppliers are struggling because the the transit times are longer and they need more financing for that transit time. Maybe I'll provide that. Oh, and I made extra interest income along the way. (laughs) Like Right. So, so, so I would look at the whole system and say, okay, what's, what's my sticking point? Is it a labor shortage? Can I throw some tech at it? And I'll go get financing for that. Or is it my supplier? So where's the friction in the system? And let's, let's see if we can use some financial options, some financial engineering to smooth out those bumps.
0: Well, and you brought up an interesting point with the interest too, because then that becomes an additional source of revenue for the company instead of that manufacturer paying the bank the interest. So are you seeing that a lot of these companies are offering interest rates that are similar to the, are are the same as the bank? Do they give them a little bit of a break on on the interest rate to make it more attractive to them? Where or do they make it perhaps higher for the convenience of being a one stop shop? Well, I'm going to, I'm going to a
1: little bit finance geek out on you for a moment. Okay. <laughs> so the, the short answer is that any manufacturer should be in a position to charge a lower rate, whether or not they decide to do that for the following reason. So let's say you have a piece of equipment that costs $100,000 and we go to the bank to borrow the money and we're going to, the bank needs to have the $100,000, right? They need the cash to give me for the loan. And then I pay interest on the $100,000. Let's say it's 10%, blah, 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 right? If I'm the manufacturer, I have the equipment and maybe let's imagine it cost us $50,000 to produce the equipment, right? I've already done my cash outlay. So I lend the money to to my buyer for $100,000. So the cool thing is I collect interest on hundred thousand dollars. Right. But I only needed the 50. Right. Okay. Whereas the bank needed the hundred. Right. Okay. You see what I'm saying? So my, so based on that simple example, my interest margin is my profit margin is double the bank Uh right out of the gate, if that makes sense, because I'm charging interest, I'm charging interest to my client, not just on the goods I produced, but I'm charging them interest on my profit margin. So I'm in a position, I have all this flexibility. And by the way, so you're right. So I have another revenue stream, right? But then really, even that's a little short-sighted. Yes, I have another revenue stream, but really I think the big opportunity is that customer stickiness, the customer relationship, because your customer is going to be very loyal and keep coming back to you rather than a different manufacturer for that type of thing. If they're like, so easy, I just filled out a one-page thing. I just... I my contract. I got the new generation of equipment. Two years later, done. Like, why would I switch, right? If I'm the print shop, why would I rip out all my Canon stuff and go buy from somebody else when I just fill out one page, renew, get my latest equipment, call it good.
0: Right. Well, and you're also differentiating yourself from all of your competitors because they are going the traditional route, making it a lot more difficult to get the financing that you need. So as a differentiating factor, so not only for long term retention of customers like in the Canon example, but also for attracting new business, because basically you just make it kind of a done for you
1: one stop shop type of thing exactly if i were let's say i were a print shop choosing between two big printer companies you betcha i would even tolerate a little bit higher price or this or that if i knew it was very frictionless and you know i get my equipment by the end of the week i sign a thing and then they start taking monthly like, payments and good to go so i think that's key by the way there's another geeky thing embedded in there which most manufacturers, right, we're adding IOT into all the stuff that we're producing, right? Whether it be a printer or a robot, there's IOT with API data feeds. So my question was, oh, wait, let's say I leased you this printer or robot or whatever. I can say as part of the agreement, I get the the data feed. So for example, if I see you're not using the equipment, I'll be like, "Uh uh-oh, I might need to go repossess that equipment. (laughs) or if I see you're running the equipment 23 hours a day, I'm like, I better call that client, see if they want another robot because it looks like they're so busy. So the IoT data can also be an enabler. So the the manufacturer has so many more ways to manage this tightly than a bank does because you understand how the equipment's being used. You may have a data feed. If you need to go repossess some equipment, you'll just sell it to the next customer. So there are all these advantages i mean really if manufacturers start to do this in a big way i mean the honestly the banks don't have a chance against them unfortunately for the banks
0: so share with us a little bit about how you work with your clients and if somebody did want to start the process you know, what would that look like or explore the process i should yeah, say
1: exactly so so and of course there's there's many ways to do this depending on where they are in their journey shall we say some customers are, we call them lift and shift, for example. So lift and shift means, hey, Michelle, we're doing, we we agree with what you're saying. We, we are doing this. It's working really well for us, but we're, we're doing it all manually on paper. And we're not sure if we're doing it as best we can. No problem. Workshop, strategy session, simulation. Okay, are we clear? We agree what you guys are going to do next. Then if they want to automate it, turnkey lender, our partner comes in and one of their consultants gets them up on the cloud-based software. And then what we see is a nice way to make this really effective is quarterly cycles of, right. you lifted and shifted, you took your paper process, you put it up in the cloud. We did the strategy session, so we helped to tweak your credit parameters or whatever you're doing or the, whatever you're doing with that financial product. And then every quarter we come in, how's the data look? Is it what we're expecting? Do we need another quick strategy session? for you guys to think about, do you have new objectives? How does it look? And then just monitor how the portfolio is doing. And because the economy and the customers are dynamic, you do keep an eye on the data that you're seeing in terms of how customers are paying and their satisfaction and just keep making those say quarterly adjustments as you go.
0: Okay. And so this is not for you even with the simulation it's not a one and done it's a relationship that continues so that you can tweak what needs to be tweaked in the course of setting
1: up those financial systems. Exactly. Exactly. We have a big uh fintech client where we did they're they're a big lender so we did like a big boom, like initial training with them with a lot of people. And now we're just doing, you know, like, hey, for a small group, we just do this quarterly cycle of see what's going on, do a review, reset, make sure it's all, you know, it's all good. Whereas in the days of yore, you would have had some consulting company in there all the time. Or (laughs) I think these days, you know, you may need an external consultant to, to look at it, which sometimes our faculty does stuff like that, turnkey lender, you know, there's plenty of people in our ecosystem who do that if the manufacturer isn't going to, you know, like, oh, we don't need a whole big team. We just need somebody to come in and, and, you know, consultant to kind of check it for us. Depends on the size of the company, obviously.
0: And then when Turnkey Lender then comes in and sets up the software to actually do the lending to the customer process, do they then also do training for the manufacturer that got involved so that they know how to work all of those Absolutely. financing
1: and options and everything, okay. Absolutely, so let me give you an example. So let's say you and I are in the software, <laughs> like, hey Lisa, what should our credit criteria be? Or how you know how much of a down payment should we require for this equipment, right? And, and we're like, oh, uh-uh, we don't know. <laughs> the simulation exercise We're like, hey Lisa, remember in the SIM, actually when we, if we can get a bigger down payment then we can, this worked or this or that, right? So, then physically in the software, then turnkey lender will be like, oh, hey guys, it's on this page. Here's the drop down box, whether it's 10 or 20%, put it in the drop down box and we have our setting. So, there's like the two pieces. To us, there's two pieces of training. One is knowing what to do, right? The strategic piece, what are our settings? And then, yeah, then there's, of course, the software training of here's the drop down box where now that you know what to do, you go put the setting in there.
0: Okay. So what did we not talk about that you feel is important for people listening to this podcast to know about uh, insourcing financing?
1: The thing I would like to just emphasize to people is that you know, what we're seeing as financial geeks is that the manufacturing sector has been underserved and we think a little bit shortchanged by the financial sector. And whenever that happens, we see a lot of disruption and things eventually get better as we see disruptors coming in. And, you know, you've seen that in the consumer side with all these new products and to your point, these nice invisible financial options that are easy. So I think, you know, I anticipate we'll start to see some of that disruption come to the manufacturing sector, hopefully in a very good way to, to help the sector grow. And so from our perspective, we're not manufacturing experts so anybody who wants to call us and just complain about your problems or tell us what you're facing as CFOs we want to hear all those problem statements because then we can continue to evolve what we're doing to to really help the the sector you know just cut out this friction and fuel growth so we want to hear everybody for now we just want to be everybody's agony auntie so that we can make sure that we're we're really at the ecosystem level helping the industry
0: so Michelle, if people did want to get a hold of you, what's the best way for them to do that?
1: They can write to me, Michelle at bankerslab.com, M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E at bankerslab.com. They can also check out our website, bankerslab.com, and they can also find us all over Facebook and LinkedIn, etc. Wonderful.
0: Well, Michelle, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a pleasure to have a chat with you.
1: Very nice. Thank you so much, Lisa. I appreciate it. I'm Lisa
0: Ryan, and this is the Manufacturers Network Podcast. See you next time. Thanks for listening. Hey, do me a favor. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe and give us a five star rating. Also, feel free to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues so we can grow the network and connect more fantastic folks just like you. You can either go to the website at manufacturers-network.com or share the podcast on your LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or wherever you and your industry friends hang out. The bigger and faster we grow this network, the stronger and deeper community we will have. I appreciate you. Thank you.